Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Marta Zareska will join us to discuss growing young. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Rock's Science Show. Well, we'd all like to live to 100, but how can friendship, optimism, and kindness help? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Ms. Marta Zareska. Ms. Zareska is a Canadian-Polish science journalist. She's written about nutrition and psychology for numerous outlets, including the Washington Post, Scientific American, The Atlantic, and others. She's also the author of Meat Hooked, The History and Science of Our 2.5 Million Year Obsession with Meat, and she's written the new book, Growing Young, How Friendship, optimism, and kindness can help you to live to 100. And Ms. Zareska, thank you very much for joining us again on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's certainly our pleasure, certainly a fascinating new book, Growing Young, which you talk about the things that I think we all value, friendship, optimism, and kindness, but really the surprising thing on how those help you live to 100. I'm curious why you decided to write the book. So I've been a journalist, as you've mentioned before, for many, many years, and I was writing about nutrition and psychology and um, social sciences, and I considered those two areas of my work quite separate, and um, yet I started coming across more and more research proving me wrong, basically, and showing that the way our minds work and the way our bodies work are not so separate at all. At the same time, I was always a very health-conscious person, you could say, so I was always trying to make sure my whole family was eating quite healthy and making sure we were getting all our vitamins and all the fruits and veggies we should be trying and organics and so on and exercising quite regularly and making sure that we that I was always on top of things and yet here I was stumbling up on this research showing that there were things that might have been more important than my organic vegetables and kale salads to make sure that I was healthy and that uh, my whole family was healthy and that we we would live long. In particular, there was one study that very conveniently for me, it was a meta-analysis of studies and that very conveniently put numbers to those things that we are doing. So to healthy diet, exercise, smoking, and compared it to things like being socially integrated, having friends, uh, living with other people, being married and so on. And it showed that the social integration, so this feeling that you are rooted in community, that you have people you can rely on, is actually more important to health than diet and exercise and even smoking, which was shocking to me. And so I started researching and I discovered that there are hundreds, if not thousands of studies showing that things exactly like optimism, kindness, whether you're neurotic or conscientious, if you have friends, if you have a romantic partner, it all matters to our health at least as much as diet and exercise. What is it about the aspects of positive psychology that really impact our bodies in a way? Because one would think these things would be separate fields. 
this is actually very biological. So when people hear those things about, you know, kindness or friendship impacting our health, they sometimes dismiss it thinking it's some kind of new agey, you know, magical thinking kind of thing. But it's not at all. We've evolved to be this way and we have lots of systems in our body. So, for example, we have social hormones such as oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins that connect the way we live our life, our mental health, our attitudes, uh, whether we are connected to other people or not with the way our bodies function. So for example, oxytocin, which is often called the love hormone, on one way is something that you get more when you are, for example, hugging other people or looking deeply into their eyes or just having this kind of social connection. And on the other side, it directly impacts our health because, for example, it has anti-inflammatory properties. It can reduce pain. It can help bone growth. So many of those things have effects on both sides. On the other hand, we also have stress access so that connects the way uh, we experience stress in our life to physiological processes. So there is one thing that's quite a mouthful. It's called hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. And this is something that connects the way we experience stress, for example, stress of being alone as well, with downstream processes in our body, very physiological processes. So it's all really deeply rooted in, into our biology. Coming down to some hormones in, in the body, I mean, if we just take pills, for example, that replace these types of hormones, would they work? No, I mean, we've already learned a lot that popping pills of different kinds just does not replace the real thing. It's the same with vitamins, you know, popping multivitamin pill will never replace your healthy, nutritious diet. It's, and it's the same with the hormones, although it's correct that uh, studies show that spraying, for example, oxytocin into people's noses uh, does impact our behavior. So, for example, if you spray oxytocin into your husband's uh, nose, uh, if you have a husband, and then actually he will further apart from attractive women. So there are some very curious effects and because basically makes us feel more attached to our romantic partner. Also spraying oxytocin into people's noses make them fight less or be more loving towards each other. It is possible to replace it, but I would not recommend it. Uh, and definitely we don't know enough about side effects of things like that to, to try that. So sort of the natural way of activating these things is, is certainly better. As usual. Certainly there have been studies of groups that are perhaps more socially connected versus those that are others. Are there communities, are there countries that where social bonds are greater, where they have these benefits from connections that exist? So definitely science tells us that people who are socially isolated are up to three times more likely to die prematurely than people who are well socially connected. So these numbers are really, really big. There are definitely countries that are doing better and some that are doing less well on the connection side of the equation. And when I was writing my book, I visited Japan, which is uh, currently the longest lived nation on the planet. Actually, they really put a lot of emphasis on social connection as a health behavior. Uh, when I talked to scientists uh, who study aging in Japan, social connection and meaning in life, there were, there were things that were coming up very, very early in conversation. Whereas when I was talking to Western scientists, they usually talked about diet and exercise, those kind of more classic approaches. And yet in Japan, for example, the Ministry of Health recommends finding meaning in life as a way to live long. So they definitely recognize softer drivers of longevity as very important. 
Japan's sort of an interesting case because they do have these social bonds. They have sort of a very tight-knit social grouping. But because of that, they also suffer from some aspects of mental health issues, very high suicide rate among young men, for example, and just sort of tied to this. How can the two be integrated? Yes, that's correct. So one thing that many people worry about Japan is that things are changing. Because, you know, when we talk about longevity in Japan, the people who are currently centenarians and so on, they lived in a very different country. And Japan has changed tremendously over the last few decades. And it is possible that 50 years down the road, they will be no longer the longest living nation on the planet because it's changing. So when you're talking about suicide among young men, these are exactly people who would be centenarians in, let's say, 80 years, not now. And the current long-lived people, those who are making the great statistics, they lived in a much more collectivistic country with much better mental health. Taking a different view of it, I mean, if we look at other animals, do we see the same sort of patterns? Are social animals uh, longer lived than those that are more uh, loners? So definitely social isolation has negative impact on animals as well. And we see it from mice to parrots, for example. There are studies showing that uh, socially isolated parrots will live shorter than parrots who live with other parrots. And of course, it's very hard to compare between species. You cannot simply say that species who are social live longer than species who are not social, because it's far more complicated than that. But definitely, once you are a social species, and we definitely are social apes ourselves, then social isolation really, really hurts us. There's certainly animals which are known for uh, being particularly long-lived. Is there anything that we can learn from them? Once again, it's far more complicated because uh, some of those animals are not social species. So it doesn't really affect us the same way. But there are definitely animals that are even immortal. There's, uh, for example, freshwater hydras that uh, if kept in a lab in proper conditions will basically never die. In nature, they die usually within, within two weeks because things happen. And what we are learning from them is about things like stem cells, for example, and this very biological processes of aging. But Obviously, we cannot learn anything from them really about our social lives. That's a little bit of a different story. Certainly, even among people, various individuals have different uh, affinities or, or needs for these type of contacts. People who crave more social interactions, if they don't get it, do they suffer more than those who don't seem to need it as much? Oh, yes, definitely. So there are the genetical vari variations here, we certain. So for example, some people have oxytocin receptor genes uh, that make them more sensitive to ostracism. So to being excluded from a group, to from feeling as if they're standing on the sideline. And uh, some people have a different uh, polymorphisms of those genes and they are much less affected by that. So in other things, there are also similar variations. So it's not all the same. Of course, there is also the famed question of extroverts and introverts. Although a lot of studies show that extroverts do benefit a little bit health-wise from their personality, but it's definitely not so clear that you have to have, you know, more, the more friends, the better. Generally, what scientists say that it, as long as you feel that you have enough friends in your life, people you can rely on. If if you have that feeling, then all is fine. It may be, maybe you need seven really close friends, or maybe you just need one. But as long as you feel that you are taken care of and you are you have people to take care of as well, uh, you should be fine. As you mentioned, the focus uh, on our health has typically been on diet, exercise, these types of things. Do you think that that perception, the change or the acknowledgement of our mental health is growing? Or do you think that we still have quite a little bit to do in terms of trying to promote the idea of, of good mental health and its effects on our physical health? 
I think we have lots to do still. I think we barely are beginning to realize that there is any connection at all. Still, the vast majority of the focus is here on all the diets, including all the fat diets and, uh, you know, keto and paleo and whatever, and uh, all the exercise gadgets and so on. But there are some signs that things may be changing. For example, in the UK, they now have a ministry for loneliness. And in Netherlands, the government has calculated how much healthcare costs are are due to neuroticism of people. So even though Netherlands are not exactly the most neurotic country, in yet they calculated their health expenditures because of it. And it was uh, over $1 billion per year per million inhabitants. So that was quite a lot. So so there are some signs that there may be a little bit more recognition, but we still have definitely a very long way to go. Some countries have a measure of gross national happiness. Yes, that's right. And, you know, it's that, that's Bhutan uh, and in Asia. And certainly it's a very interesting idea. And so especially that we know that happiness and longevity and health are very well connected. Are there good recommendations maybe to improve these aspects of our social interactions and how they can then improve our mental health and our physical health? I think the first and most important step is just to recognize that these things are really, really important and not only because of our mental health, although of course that's very important here as well, but also because of our physical health and well-being and longevity. Very often we are so focused on our diets and weight loss and exercise and uh, and whether we are getting organics or whatever supplements are currently on top. And uh, we are so focusing on this that we don't recognize social connection or friendship or the quality of your romantic relationship as a health behavior. And I think that once we do, we may put a little bit more focus on those things, which is absolutely necessary. And this is the most important first step, just recognizing that we need those things that are absolutely vital biologically to us. Um, And of course, you know, if, for example, if you are lonely, also the very important thing is to re- realize that loneliness, there's no shame in loneliness. And loneliness is just something we evolved in a very similar way to hunger. So hunger is a feeling that tells you you should be looking out for food and loneliness tells you that you should be out looking out for other people. So once you realize those things, there are definitely lots of steps, which are some of them I also uh, recommend in my book, but I also recommend other books that are much more focused on those uh, steps you can take on how to improve your social connections. And definitely it's, it's doable and we can we can change. We are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have some final words regarding growing young. So certainly I think that, you know, especially in these very difficult times when we are all socially isolating now because of coronavirus, I think it's even more vital to recognize how important social connection and friendship and kindness and community are for our health and longevity and even for our immune systems. You know, there are studies showing that if you are socially isolated, you respond worse to viruses. So we have to look for novel ways how to connect, how to feel that we are part of something bigger, to look for meaning, to protect ourselves even more in these very difficult times. Well, we were just talking with Ms. Marta Zareska, her new book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. Ms. Zareska, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.